Let's get right into it. Today we're talking about next steps to leading like Jesus. Here is the memory verse for uh, this lecture. It's found in John chapter 13, verse 17. John chapter 13, verse 17. And it says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So what are these things that we're going to be talking about? We're going to be talking about these things that Jesus is referring to here in John 13, 17. But I want us all to first know that we are a work in progress. Okay, we are, sh we are short of perfection. And it's, it's only when we now begin to take this transformational journey of leading for change, because that's what we're going to be talking about today, leading for change that now can we understand how to really lead like Jesus. So what we have to do is first and foremost, we have to initiate change. We have to initiate the change. We have to model it. We have to respond to it. And we have to be able to sustain the change for the long term. It's a fundamental aspect of becoming a leader. And leadership is about going someplace. Let me just put uh, put a parenthesis on that. Leadership is about going someplace. Some of us, we've become comfortable with staying in the same place for so long. Well, this is what I do. This is how I lead. And I've always led like this, or church has always looked like this. And we get complacent and we allow that place to become idolatrous. Because now we're saying, well, that's the only thing that I know. That's the only leadership role model that I've known. But we're going to look here in scripture and say that is not the model that Jesus took with his disciples. You bring the future into view so that others now can actually act and make godly choices for today. It is your job. It is your responsibility to bring the future into view. Not to bring your biases into view, not to bring what you think should be the answer at the moment into view, right? You're bringing the future, the totality of who God is into view so that others now can react to it and act on it and make godly choices. So Jesus throughout human history offered people this kind of change. He offered them the means and the model or this kind of change. What Jesus did was he turned the world upside down and then he turned the world right side up by making love the standard for all relationships. So he didn't just turn the world upside down, but he turned the world right side up. Matthew 18.3 says this, Truly I tell you, unless you change, highlight that, in Matthew 18, 3. Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like what? Like little children, you will never. Now, that's a strong word right there. I don't have to break that down for you in the Greek. That, would, that never means never, okay? You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So you have to be able now to change in such a way, like a child, not childish, childlike, okay? We're not talking about being childish. We're talking about being childlike. It's the innocence of the change. So we've discussed the heart, right? We've discussed the head uh, of leadership, right? So the heart and the head are now the internal dominions, right? We talked about that. It's the internal dominions uh, and great leadership is leading from the inside out. So we're leading as leaders from the inside out. But it begins with this heart question, and I asked this before. Are you here to serve or to be served? And you guys got to ask yourself that question in any leadership that you are in right now, any ministry that you're in. I don't care if it's the prayer ministry, uh, hands uh, helping ministry, uh, if you're doing something on global, you have to ask yourself that question. Are you here to serve or to be served because what this is reinforced by the being habits that we talked about right it's reinforced by these being habits your heart your heart now it travels to your head right and there's a there's a short distance between your heart and your head 
where you actually develop, and we talked about this, your belief structure. So your heart and your head, that's where you develop your belief structure. Then once your heart and your head now becomes aligned, you can then act on using your hands, right? And what this does is that this cultivates the doing habits. So you see how all this is just flowing together that we were talking about. But now in order for actually all this to happen, you must be willing, and I say that word, you need to be willing to change in your next steps and understand the different levels of change that actually occurs. Because when you go through change, we're gonna talk about there are different levels of change that we're going to see in order to get to our next steps. There are specifically four essential levels of change that we are going to address here today. All right, so get ready, because we're going right in. And let me just preface this by saying, put, uh, when we specifically talk about these changes, you're going to automatically think, well, I don't need to change. If that's the first thing that comes to your mind, guess what? You need to change in that area. <laughs> once you hear these definitions and once you hear these, uh, these essentials of change and the first inclination that comes to your mind is saying, oh, I don't need to change. I, I, I'm good. Guess what? No, that's, the, that's already a, a clear indicator that you need to change in this area. So here's the first um, level of change that we need to address. The first one is a change in knowledge. There has to be a change in knowledge. So in some aspects, when we're talking about a change in knowledge, uh, it's probably one of the easiest ones to actually accomplish here uh, because this happens through, you could read a book, right? You could grab a theological book and you could read it or, or a podcast, right? You could listen to a podcast and then you say, wow, I, I agree with what that person's actually saying or a teacher or even some advice. And what is a leader? Someone that gives advice, right? So it really happens easily because of these different factors and these different influences. So, um, but here's the thing, uh, we're talking about effective leadership and effective, uh, to be an effective change leadership, it requires new information to happen, okay? So new information has to happen. Um, there has to be a compelling uh, reason to believe in the information. There has to be a compelling vision. Remember we talked about the compelling vision uh, for people, for them to even consider to even respond and believe the information that you're giving them, right? Uh, so this is all dependent on you guys because here's the thing, how you speak to other people conveys different forms of information, okay? Because the reality is uh, a lot of us are giving people the wrong gospel message. A lot of us are giving people uh, a different form of what the cross really means. That's why you have so many uh, different religions and you have so many different uh, dichotomies that are out there that are talking about, well, who Jesus is. And uh, I remember going on, on TikTok and talking to the person and they said, well, Jesus was just a prophet and Jesus was just uh, a wise man or a good sage you know, or whatever the case is. And uh, that's their perception. Why? Because they've been given information that they can't understand. So even when we're trying to convey information to people, sometimes it gets muffled. You understand what I'm saying? Sometimes when we give people information, we think we're giving them the right information, but it's coming out in the wrong method. So we have to be able to give people the whole gospel, the whole truth of the information. See, Jesus's message never changed. His methods changed, though. So the message always stayed the same. But we got to be, we got to understand that when we talk to people, even in different cultures, even in different dialects, even in different states, like I could say something in New York that might be offensive in Indiana, but in New York, that's how I talk, right? 
<laughs> or it could be vice versa. I could be in Indiana and say something, but in New York, we could take it a whole nother way and be off, take, take offense to it, right? So it's how you display the information. So we need to also uh, test, there's a, a testing for understanding that's important. That's it, another part of this process. So not just they get the information, but there's a testing for the understanding of it, right? So here's, I want, here's what I want you to know. You need effective proclamation coupled with substantial verification, all right? You need effective proclamation. You need to be effective in your proclamation. How are you verbalizing uh, the gospel message or what you're trying to convey as a leader or what, whatever vision that you're trying to impart to the people, it has to be effective proclamation, but it has to be coupled with substantial verification. There has to be a stamp of approval on what you're saying and not just a whole bunch of fluff. Because a lot of us, what we're doing is we're giving people the gospel according to Rebecca. Or we're giving people the gospel according to Gloria. Or we're giving people the gospel according to Pastor Eddie. It's not according to us. It's according to God. So Jesus used this approach that we're going to see with the crowds when uh, he would actually repeat the same message. We actually see Jesus repeating the same message, but he did it in different ways to meet the needs of his audience. So let me give you an example of that. And if you want, you can turn to it. Uh, but John chapter 17, verse six to eight, uh, we're gonna see this here. This was a prayer uh, that we have here. And John chapter 17, verse six to eight says this. We see this in his prayer, verse six. He says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word, verse 7. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and now look at this, and have come to know the truth, that I came from you, and they have believed that you have sent me. So Jesus used this, uh, he would constantly reiterate uh, the message to the people in different ways, depending on the audience that was there so that they can get the information. That's why he used parables, right? Parables are heavenly messages with an earthly connotation, an earthly form to it, right? Some of us, we got to learn to speak in parables to people. Can I just keep it real? Is that all right? Some of us, we have to learn to speak in parables to people because some of us are speaking too much Christianese to people that they don't understand. They don't understand these big words like redemption and sanctification and glorification and predestination and deliver. They don't even understand deliverance. So what we need to do, and I'm not saying we need to dumb down the message, but what I'm saying is that we need to feed them the information so that they can sustain it and make it understandable to them. And when we do that, we see what Jesus says here, they're going to know the truth. So change in the knowledge, change in how you approach people with the knowledge. That's the first one. The second one is there's a change in attitude. There's got to be a change in your attitude. So this change is, is difficult for most people because uh, what attitude is, attitude is emotionally charged bit of knowledge. That's what it is, is you have the knowledge, but now you have the attitude that goes uh, along with the knowledge. So you feel strongly uh, about what you believe, right? No matter if what you believe is positive, no matter what you believe is negative, you just believe it, you believe strongly about it, right? So what attitude begins, attitude begins with information, okay? It begins with information, but when you have no context behind it, 
the information now results in no enthusiasm for change to happen. Let me say that again, because I, I want you to, to gravitate towards that part, because that's important. When attitude begins with information, but when you, when you don't have any context behind it, right? You're just giving people information, but you're not telling them the reason why. What the information is going to produce is going to produce stoic people. It's going to be no enthusiasm for this change to actually happen in the lives of people because they don't understand the why behind it, right? They know the information, but there is no attitude behind it. And some of us, we treat Christianity like that. Some of us, we, we treat our families like that. Well, husbands, our spouses, our kids, right? Uh, we're uh, emotionally detached from our families. We're emotionally detached from the church, right? We don't want anything to do with people. I'm an introvert. So it's hard for me to like literally engage uh, with people, but I had to break that off of me because I had to say, no, I have to be a shepherd amongst the people. I got to smell like the sheep. I can't just be in my prayer closet 23 hours a day praying because what's the point of you praying all those hours and you're not physically praying for people, right? That wasn't the model that Jesus took. So as leaders, we are, we are calling people to a changed lifestyle. And how our attitudes actually now convey that uh, to others is important, okay? Um, but here's the thing. You have to earn the right as a leader to be heard. You have to earn the right as a leader to be heard. And that is based on one big word, and that's called trust. So... Even, even here in this setting, um, people want to trust you, okay? Everybody here, people, they, they want to trust you. But you have to earn the right as a leader to be heard. And that just, that just doesn't happen with information, right? So, for instance, people could look at me and say, oh, well, Pastor Eddie, you have all these degrees, you have all this, uh, you're, you're well-equipped, and this, this, and that, but that doesn't mean anything. That's just the outside looking in. That's all that is, all that is conveying is a form of information, but if they get to know me like the way that we've gone to grown together since January, and you hear my heart, and you know my soul, and you know my attitude, and you know my heart, that it bleeds for people, like you now, you all should know me on that personal level. There's a level of trust that has been built now. So now I'm gonna listen more into the information because now I see the information is not just something that's factual. The information is not just factual, it's relatable. And a lot of us, we live on that factual level all the time. It's just facts, it's just information, but there is, and it becomes static. But we gotta switch over to the dynamic, and we gotta switch over to the relatability portion of it. And that was hard for me to break off. And I'm praying that here today that your attitude changes as a result. Some of you, you need an attitude adjustment. And that's why you're here. You're here to change your attitude. Because here's the thing, a changed attitude without trust goes unnoticed. A changed attitude without trust, it goes unnoticed. So you could change your attitude as much as you can. If there is no trust behind it, it's going to go unnoticed. Because people are not going to recognize it. Because all it is, is you're just changing your behavior for the sake of just changing your attitude. But when you change your attitude that is coupled with trust, and the person that says, I can trust this person because they just haven't changed their attitude, they're living it out. Perfect example, my family, I'm still on the realm of ministering to them. Uh, uh, they're, they're still not going to church and all this, um, but they know I'm a pastor and they know I went to seminary and all this and that. But here's the thing, even though my my attitude changed with them, they still want the old Eddie back. They still want the worldly Eddie back. 
they still want me back to go back. Hey, you know, just, you know, go back to the, to how you were before when you were really fun. See, so their perception and their definition of fun is according to the world standards. Our definition and according to fun and having a good attitude is according to the biblical understanding of what that means. The joy of the Lord is our strength, right? So, but they had to, they have to still trust me on that level. And I'm still working on that with them. I was able to do it with my father and baptize my own father because he saw the change, but he saw the trust. But I'm still working on a few others. So, but even with your family right now, maybe I'm speaking that into some of you that you need to hear that. Change your attitude, but work on your trust. Change your attitude, but work on your trust. Some of us, we focus so much heavy on the attitude portion of it that we neglect the trust aspect of it and it goes unnoticed. So that's the second one. The third one is change in behavior. It needs to be a change in behavior. So this is another change that is uh, difficult because now people have to do something, right? They gotta do something now about it. They gotta change their behavior. It's not a behavior modification but it's a reorienting of their behavior to either stop or to start something new. So that's what they're doing when they're getting into this realm to change their behavior. So changes in knowledge and uh, even changes in the attitude, it must inspire a change in behavior now, because now what they've come to understand is to trust and to accept you and to trust and to accept now this new information as truth you see how everything now just flows down right you got you got to start from the beginning it has to be the change in information uh then you have to understand that you have to change your attitude and then now the change in behavior comes but i want to talk a little bit about fear because i want to read from you something that one of the greatest kings of the Old Testament did. And he was so fearful that he changed his behavior. You want to know who it is? First Samuel chapter 21. You can just write this for your reference if you want. But first Samuel chapter 21, verse 12 to 13. This is David, King David. And it says, and David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Askish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them. So he changed his behavior before them and he pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and he let his spittle run down his beard. Now, David changed his behavior because he was fearful. And what fear will do is fear will alter your behavior to what's beneficial for it. And it's going to feed into your fear. When we're looking at that word here, in the Hebrew, to change his behavior, it actually means to disguise one's judgment. So what was David doing? David was fearful. And we see many times that David was fearful. We see many times that great patriarchs in the past were fearful. So they changed their behavior. So here's the question that I want to pose to you here today. What are the areas that you are fearing right now that you are changing your behavior in because you're fearful you're fearful of the outcome oh let me put it another way you're fearful of what people would actually say about you if we lived on that constant fear every comment on instagram every comment on facebook or, or if we live with the fear of people just uh, uh, thinking ab about us differently our lives will be in chaos. And here, 
I want you to really probe your heart and say, God, are there areas in my life that I have changed and I've altered my behavior because of the fear of the unknown, because of the fear of what's to, ex I don't know what is to be expected if I continue down this road. What is that fear that you're fearing right now? Maybe you could, we're gonna ask, ask that question later on, but I believe that's something here today because even David, mighty King David, changed his whole posture to look like a loon and insane because he was fearful. Didn't you slay Goliath, David? Didn't you see the mighty works of God working in your life and still you fear man? And sometimes we get to that, why? Because the pressure of fear comes and the pressure of fear becomes more real. So we begin to alter our behavior to be modified to the fear because we want our fear to fit in. Woo. We want our fear to fit in instead of our faith to stand out. Here's the fourth one. There needs to be a change in cultural norms and expectations. Now, this one's important. There needs to be a change in cultural norms and expectations. So this is the most difficult one because it involves everybody. It involves multiple people uh, who always come with a different uh, perception of what the culture should look like, what a church should look like, what a ministry or a business model should look like, right? So there's a variety of perceptions here on what should be done, okay? But lasting change, when we're talking about lasting change in a community, lasting change happens over time. So you as a leader must be willing to be in it for the long haul. So here's the thing, we want change to happen in our communities. We want change to happen in our families. We want change to happen, whatever that cultural setting is where you're at. But you as a leader need to be able to stay in it for the long haul. Change doesn't happen tomorrow. Sorry to burst your spiritual bubbles. <laughs> change doesn't happen tomorrow. Change happens during a duration of time. Moses had to wait 40 years to even see the promised land not even to enter into it, just to see it. So for, for change to happen within, within the culture, each individual must be willing to do a few things. They must be first willing to desire inclusion. You gotta desire inclusion. So what does that mean first? Desire inclusion. That means that you're gonna allow sinners and people to eat at your table. You got to allow people that you wouldn't normally have at the dinner table and you have to feast and enjoy their presence. And you have to say, no, you are included into this family. So it's a desire for inclusion and a collaboration that gives purpose. Okay, so you're coming together, we're collaborating together because we can all agree on the purpose that we want to see actually change and facilitated wherever we are doing it. It means giving back to the community. Okay, so the Christ of culture, I want to talk about this There's a great book uh, called the Christ of culture. But um, the Christ of culture wants to maintain community with others. It doesn't want to disassociate themselves with people. And that's what we do sometimes. But in order for us to be effective, see, now listen, I'm taking you guys to the next steps because the next steps, everybody's thinking, what's the next steps for me? Number four is the next steps for people, the next steps for community, because that is really what it's about. So in order to make this effective as a leader, we must follow the model of Jesus here. Jesus was relevant because he followed the laws of his society and he sent out his disciples to seek and to save the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So Jesus understood the cultural norms of 
the times. He understood Jesus still followed all those rules and regulations, but he did it with the Father's commands. He did it with the Father's will, right? So what he did was he cared for his fellow community. But here's the thing. We cannot become chameleons in our community. We cannot become chameleons in our community. If you know what a chameleon is, a chameleon is this little animal that blends into the environment of wherever they are at in order to either elude um, you know, some, uh, another animal or they're scared or they're fearful or whatever the case is, and they blend into their environment. But see, we fit in without standing out. We got to be able to stand out and stop being chameleons. We got to learn to stop being chameleons in our communities. Right? So here's the thing. For perfect example. And I said this uh, a couple of times. Brand new neighbors just moved in next door to me. Muslim. You think I just... Uh, just say, hey, you know what? I'm going to make, and I'm not going to just say, hey, you know, hey, what's going on? Welcome to the to the neighborhood. Hey, I'm a Christian. <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to welcome them through acts of service, helping them out. I was there next door, taking out his trash, doing all the neighborly things, right? Saying, hey, if you're here, uh, one time they went on vacation. I say, hey, listen, I'll watch your house for you. You know, I'm a cop. I got a gun. Don't worry about it. I'm going to protect you, protect your property, whatever the case is, right? So, but I just made myself available. I displayed proper attitude to them. And, you know, regardless of their belief structures, I was just there. I wasn't a chameleon. I could have stayed in the background and say, hey, you know what? Let them figure it out for their own. Let me not offer up my help. But I stood out. And that's what it is here. Your faith must intersect with public life. Your faith must intersect with public life. Let us stop hiding our faith in the bushes. Let us stop hiding our faith at home where it's just me, myself, and I, but we are to exercise our faith in the community that God has placed us in. So those are the four, these are the four essentials. Um, but now I want to go into a, a deeper thing. I want to talk about uh, seven reasons why leading change is difficult. And then we're going to conclude from here. Seven reasons why leading change is difficult. Because now that we understand the changing of the information, the changing of the attitude, the changing of the behavior, now the changing in the cultural norms, right? Um, wherever we are placed at. Now we got to talk about reasons why leading change is difficult. So a lot of these are going to speak to you. And this is what I want you to do. Those that are taking notes and writing down, whichever one speaks to you, I just want you to just highlight it. And then at the end of this discussion, we're going to uh, talk about that specific thing. And I believe it's going to be a breakthrough moment for a lot of people here today. So here's the first reason why leading change is difficult. The first one is people feel awkward. People feel awkward. So people have a tendency to naturally feel uncomfortable. They have this natural tendency to, 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 to feel uncomfortable, but with discomfort comes a change now in the way that we actually think and our attitudes and our behavior. So when we're leading out of our discomfort, you need to explain a few things for people. You need to explain the what, the when, and the how of the change that's occurring right now. Because they feel awkward. They don't want to change because they just they, they don't understand the reasoning. So tell them the what, the when, the how. And then the why, because that's necessary. And then you're going to feel that now you can, you can break out of that discomfort. That's the first one. The second one is people feel alone. 
people feel alone. So regardless of of the relational ties that we may have, uh, when change happens, we always take it personally. We always take it personally. Whenever a change is happening, we take it personal. Why is Pastor Eddie doing this? Why is Pastor Mike changing things in the ministry? Doesn't he know that this is the way that it's always been? And then what ends up happening is we become isolated. And then we feel alone. Right? And here's the question that ends up happening is the why me? Why me? Why am I going through this? Right? It's because there's a fear of exposure to one's weakness and limitations. So because of your weakness and your limitations, there's this fear of being exposed and now leads you into a place of isolation. And now you begin to feel alone because change is happening and you don't know where to go. You don't know who to be anymore because of the change. So as leaders, we must be able to model transparency to people and actually provide them a safe place so that they can actually be able to share their concerns with one another so that they don't feel alone, but they feel connected, right? It's, it, it gets rid of uh, the question that is, I thought I was the only one feeling this, right? People ask that question. I thought I was the only one feeling this. So I'll do that. Here's the third one. People focus on what they have to give up. Whenever change happens, people will focus on what they have to give up. Okay, now comes with this change, what do I gotta give up? What is the thing that I gotta sacrifice, right? That's the first reaction to change is often a personal sense of loss. There's always this personal attachment and this, and this sense of loss that now I'm going to experience because of this. So. Why we do this? Let me tell you, I'm going to break it down for you right now. Get ready. I'm about, to, I'm about to shatter some of you right now. Because we tend to honor our past achievements. And we tend to honor our past successes. And it becomes hard to surrender. Here's a perfect example. Oh, back in my day, we used to, you fill in the blank. Back in my day, we always did it like this, fill in the blank. And we honor our past more than our present. Oh, man. We honor our past more than our present. Because that has been always the focus, because we don't want to give up our baby. We don't want to give it up. So here's the thing about effective leaders. Effective leaders must always do this. Effective leaders honor the past, but they don't live there. Effective leaders honor the past, but they don't live there. Why are you living in your past? Because you're comfortable in it. Because there's a safe place for you. But here's the thing. It's not really safe at all. That place is only safe in your mind and in your heart. But if you if you really expose what's going on is you're living in, in, in fear, you're changing your behavior, you're becoming insane, like David, without even knowing it, because you're 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 focusing just on yourself. You're not branching out, you're not being effective enough. Instead, we need to, as leaders, be able to help people to acknowledge the realities and to reshape their priorities for the future. That's what a good leader does. A good leader is able to help people acknowledge where they are right now and to be able to reshape their priorities to say, no, if you keep going down this road, it's gonna to lead to destruction. Every person that I talk to, this is how I, I, I do it, right? Most of the time now people come to me because they either want advice or, or whatever the case is, they want some you know, a theological question answered. But I take that as an opportunity to reshape their priorities. So if it's something that they're dealing with, right? It's not a, it's not a theological question that they want answered. It's a heart issue. It's something that they're struggling with. 
It's something that's just much more deeper rooted than just, hey, uh, why is there a trinity? It's deeper than that. It's because maybe they've sought God on a surface level and not a heart level. Maybe there's things that they're dealing with. So every person that you encounter, an effective leader, honor their past, but tell them you shouldn't live there. Because God has a future and a hope for them. Here's the fourth one. People can handle only so much. People could only handle so much. So when we're talking about change, change is always bound to happen, right? We know change is going to happen, but to lead a change that will actually last the test of time uh, requires us to be alert to the people's pace. We got to understand the people's pace. It's always different. And to extend this change that you're asking people to take. So tell people, hey, we're going to go on a journey together. That's what, what I did with you right in the beginning. I say, hey, we're going to take a journey. Some of you are going to be here at the end of this. Some of you are not going to be here at the end of this. But I'm going to take a journey with you. So what people end up doing is they become overwhelmed. People become overwhelmed really, really easy. They become discouraged. Uh, even when what you're actually sharing could be uplifting and positive, people are still going to feel, feel discouraged. People are still going to feel overwhelmed. So here's, here's one practical thing that I could tell you. Don't change everything at once. So whether you're in a business or, or, you're, or, or you're trying to uh, start a ministry or you're trying to do whatever, don't make the changes all at once. Don't clean house right away. But what you should do is you should choose key areas in that structure that's going to make the biggest difference. So focus on the key areas that you know change needs to happen and just focus on those areas instead of changing every single thing, right? Uh, because people, people can't handle that. So what we need to do is let people experience some success. That's a leadership thing. We got to let people experience some of our successes. So for instance, when even as a leader, when we talk about V1, right, we talk about it as a whole, as global. We just don't talk about it in a box just with Long Island. We talk it global because we're all in this together. All the successes that Julia, that even you said the successes, we all embrace that together. So when you guys go out and do something or accomplish something, guess what? I'm ecstatic. I'm embracing it with you because I'm like, yes, they got that point and they put it into practice. So I am able to enjoy your successes. We've been so selfish on the other side of the fence, uh, enjoying our own successes that we haven't had time to enjoy the successes of other people. And we got to begin to do that better as a, a team here, a global team, uh, because really um, that's what it's about. It's letting people experience some of the successes. And that way, what they can do now is that they could build on that before going the distance. So they're able to build on that little success. They say, you know what? Wow, I could take part of this. Wow, V1, wow, we just had uh, all these baptisms. Wow, all this. You know what? I'm going to tell somebody about the next baptism. I'm going to tell somebody about the next growth track. I'm going to tell somebody because why? Because I see something happening. It's a success that's happening in this church. And I'm part of it, right? Let me give you an example of this. Jesus gave two simple commands. Anyone know it? What were the two commands that, that Jesus gave? You can put it in the, in the chat if you know it. What are the two commands? Yep, love, love God and love people, right? Love your God and your neighbor as yourself. So here's the, here's the thing. The Ten Commandments can actually be summed up in these two. Think about it. <laughs> right now, I just blow some of your minds. The Ten Commandments can be summed up in two commandments. So why are we making it difficult for people? Why are we setting the bar so high for people? 
when the only two commandments that Jesus said for you to have is to love God and love people. Why? Jesus said that to make it easier for people. Because when you love, guess what? You're not going to kill. When you love, guess what? You're not going to steal. When you love truly with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, guess what? You're not going to worship another God. You're not going to covet your neighbor's goods. You're not going to commit adultery. You're going to honor the Sabbath. You're going to love your father and your mother. That's the true definition of change. When you focus it on love, people can handle two. They can't handle ten. <laughs> but people can handle two. So let us stop trying to theologize all our conversations and confuse people out of covenantal relationship with all these crazy talks of, you know, I, I, I see it all the time. Like, just love people, love God, love people. And guess what? You're, it's, you're still going to sin, obviously, but you're, you, these are the, the two easiest commandments that we could embark on. So. Let's learn to do that well. Here's number five. People worry about resources. People worry about resources. So whenever there is a fear of change, right, there's also a fear of scarcity that actually happens, of not having enough. I remember, um, you know, when uh, hurricane, uh, hurricane Katrina happened, um, well, it wasn't Hurricane Katrina. What was the hurricane that we experienced uh, like 10 years ago? Um, was it Maria? Sandy, there you go. Oh, can't do the name. So I remember Sandy because we were still living at our home right now and we lost everything. Our, our, our neighbor's house burned down to the ground. Uh, I left that night with uh, looking at my neighbor's house catching on fire and then looking at the fire come on to my house and the water was literally up to my chest. And I remember leaving there saying, you know what, we're, we're going to lose everything. And uh, it took us about a good year to recover. But even during that time, I remember um, going to get food at like the shelters. And I was in, I, and I got a full-time job. I'm, I'm a police officer. I'm one of the, I'm one of, I'm, I'm, I'm part of uh, this dynamic uh, police force, the biggest one uh, in, almost in, in the world. And here I am standing in line tr trying to get diapers from, for, for my little guy and trying to get gasoline and waiting on, on the gas lines. Uh, if you guys remember that, Sandy. So why? Because when Sandy happened, there was this fear that began to drip into people's minds and say, I don't have enough. I need to go out and get. And I remember those lines, those gasoline lines. I remember waiting three hours with just a bucket just to just to get some gas. And I remember uh, uh, going um, uh, uh, into the different shelters and, and places and, and the food places just to get some milk and just to get some food. I remember that because we were basically homeless because we didn't have a home. And then there was this fear. And even in that moment, even though, yes, I didn't, we didn't need things. There was still a fear. If I could be vulnerable that I had, because I was like, God, now I really don't have anything. <laughs> now I'm, I'm, I'm totally wiped out. I got nothing to my name right now. I don't even have a house right now. But even at that moment, there was still enough for me to live in the realm of fear. Even though I didn't have physically everything, I still set my heart in the placement of fear. So it goes to show you that you do not need things in order to live in fear. It's an attitude, it's a behavior, it's a mindset. It's a mindset that we, that we have. Because I didn't have anything and I still feared not having anything. <laughs> I still lived in that fear. And people, they worry about resources. And what this ends up doing is this leads to hoarding, right? Hoarding those resources. And now there becomes a break in the team and the cooperation of the team. But an effective leader does this. An effective leader is able to calm people's concerns. 
an effective leader is able to calm their concerns by allowing them to see the greater collective resource that's available. There's a bigger. See, I didn't see that. I just saw at that moment, hey, I need some food. I got to get some cans of beans. I got to get some rice. I got to get these essentials, whatever. But I didn't. And this was the thing. I was placing my faith and my trust in people rather than placing my faith and my trust in a God that could supply all my needs. And, you know, let me tell you something. There were some miracle, miracle stories that came after that. We started getting checks uh, in, in the mail and people, we saw boxes of food. Once I became, once I got rid of the scarcity mindset and put on the salvation mindset, then things started to shift and things started to change. And then I started seeing checks in the mail and started getting these Pentecostal handshakes with money. <laughs> That's what we call the Pentecostal uh, handshakes. And people just started to bless us because they saw, and I was a pastor at that time. And I was, and, 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 and people started to love on us, but that didn't happen right away. That happened because I shifted my mind and I said, God, I'm scared and I'm living in fear, but I got to place my trust in you. Matthew chapter six, verse 31 to 33, it says, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Verse 33, you guys know this verse, but seek ye first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Here's number six. People are at different levels of readiness. People are at different levels of readiness. Uh, here's the thing. The ones who are quickest to, to raise their hands for change, oh, I want change, oh, I want change, are usually the ones that are at times self-motivated by their own ambitions and by their own interests. It's usually those are the ones, oh, yeah, give me change. I'm, I'm ready for this. I'm ready. It's usually because they're, they have some ulterior motives going on. But what I've noticed is the ones that are more slower to actually raise their hands are usually the ones that are willing to see change at a longer pace. So leaders must be willing to do this. As a leader, you all must be willing to clarify the mission and the goals so that people know what to expect. Okay, we talked about that. Here's an example. Uh, the Apostle Thomas. The Apostle Thomas, he was slow to accept a change. And he wanted to know if Christ was truly resurrected. Let me put my fingers in your, in your hands. Let me put my fingers on, on you. Let, let, me, let me feel. I need to feel this. I've been hearing about it, but I, I don't accept this change right now. Peter was, was, uh, Peter was emotional. Peter was very highly emotional and he was quick to, to respond. And, and then you have Philip. Philip was quick to uh, embrace the change, but he wasn't clear about what Jesus actually had to come to do. But what, what I love about Jesus, and we have these three different people and, and, and how they react to the change, is that Jesus deals with each one of them actually according to their different personalities. And he deals with them differently. And towards the end, each one of them followed him wholeheartedly, and each one of them died committed to the service of his vision. So people are always at different levels of readiness. Maybe some of you are a Peter. You're just so, you're emotionally uh, attached and, and, and you're quick to respond, right? Oh yeah, me, Lord, uh, I'll never say that. I'll never deny you. And then you get scared when a little girl confronts you. <laughs> or maybe some of us are, are like Thomas and we're like these New Yorkers, stone hard, cold hearted, <laughs> just, just uh, rugged and just say, oh, I don't believe anything until I put my hands and if I see that thing. Or some of us are like Philip, that we're so quick to embrace the change, but we have no idea what's going on. 
We don't, we don't see it. It's not clear to us. All we know is we want change. But here's a good thing about leadership. A leader knows who's who. A leader knows the level of the readiness of people. But here's the thing. Don't force the readiness. If someone's not ready, don't force them to go to the next level. Let them stay in that readiness stage for whatever, whatever they need to be at for whatever time. They're going to grow into the next season. And here's the last one that I want to give you is, and this is a long one. So people tend to revert to old behaviors when the pressure to change is removed. Repeat that again. People tend to revert to old behaviors when the pressure to change is removed. So leading for change, it requires constant reinforcement. You can't just do it one time and then that's it and then forget it and neglect it. It has to be a constant reinforcement. What it means is that you're going to be praising the progress of people, right? You're keeping the vision alive. Uh, you're making sure that people are connected. People are living in the realm of success, that it's together in the community, right? You're extending grace to people when needed. You're forgiving when it's required. And you're making sacrifices when you need to make sacrifices. So effective leaders and effective leaders of change, what they must do is they must apply just enough pressure. You got to apply just enough pressure until the tipping point is reached. So Jesus reinforces his vision. We see in scripture that Jesus reinforces his vision and his values with Peter. And you read that in John chapter 21, when he asked Peter three times, what? Do you love me? Why did Jesus do that? Because he was trying to reinforce this vision and reinforce the values. Because he knew Peter was going to go back to his old way at that moment. He knew Peter was going to change his, his mindset at that moment. He was going to revert back to his old behaviors because the pressure wasn't on him. Some of us, we need to be in a constant state of pressure and fuel it with our passion. Don't let the pressures of today distort your passions for tomorrow. The pressures are there to keep you in line. The pressures are there to reinforce the vision. The pressures are there to get you from point A to point B. So don't look at it as, oh man, I'm, 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 there's so much pressure on me and this and that. Turn, fuel your pressure into passion. So leading people through change and leading people into their next steps, are, let me just tell you, it's going to be difficult. If, if anybody you know and you've been in ministry for quite some time, you know people are creatures of habit and they don't love change. They don't want to change. Uh, but what leaders need to do is give people a passionate sense of purpose. You need to give people a compelling vision. Uh, and need to reinforce it because it's worth it in the end. So in conclusion, your next step is to take the first step towards leading like Jesus. Your next step is to take the first step towards leading like Jesus. Well, Pastor Eddie, didn't we take this first step in session one? No, now you're, now you're taking the first step. Why? Because I've given you all the information. I've given you everything that you needed to know to be an effective leader for Jesus. So that means that now I'm accountable for your actions. Did you know that? I'm accountable for your actions because anything that you do that I've taught you up to this point and you haven't done, I failed as a leader. And I take full responsibility of that. That's what an effective leader does. An effective leader takes full responsibility even in the successes, because leaders, they love success. They want to enjoy the success at the moment. But guess what? A real leader takes, takes um, 
uh, takes their lickings and they're willing to say, well, I got to change some things. Well, maybe I didn't articulate this correctly to them. Maybe I said something wrong, maybe. And I need to do that. That's my next step here, just to let you know. My next step is to say, if I see you all um, next year, couple of months down the road and, and nothing has changed and I failed and I got to go back to square one. It's about what God can do through us. When we are willing to obey and express his love. And I want you to remember this because your job as a leader is to help others find their next steps by how we step. Let me say that again. Your job as a leader is to help others find their next steps by how we step. It's, it's remembering that God is not your co-pilot. He is the one flying the plane. Some of us were treating God like a co-pilot. Oh God, I'll push the buttons. I know how to fly this thing. I know how to take off God. Don't worry. I got this. No, God is not the co-pilot. God's the one flying the plane. So we need to st stop putting our hands on the wheel and let God direct it. So leading like Jesus is not a destination, but it's a journey. So I leave you with the very first question that I, I presented right in the beginning of the first lecture. It's the very first question that has came down to, to this very, very last point of all these months that we've learned to lead like Jesus in our lives, in our families, in our relationships, in our churches, whatever context you are in. But I leave you with this very, very first question that I presented in the first lecture. Are you willing to lead like Jesus? Are you willing to lead like Jesus? After you've heard everything that we've talked about, the head, the hands, the habits, the heart, every single thing, and if you need to go back to these lectures, listen to it again, and then ask yourself this question. Am I willing to lead like Jesus? Not lead the way I think it should be led, but lead the way that he is leading me to lead others. Let's pray. God, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you, God. Even as Paul prayed, he said, Oh, wretched man that I am. Yet he was leading a new wave of Gentiles into the new church that we would experience here today. But even him, and he said in, in all of his discomfort, in, in, in all of his failings, he said, I'm still wretched. God, help us to get to the state of our wretchedness. I know, I know that doesn't sound like a beautiful prayer to some, but that is our psalm tree right now, God. That is our psalm to you. Oh, wretched person that I am, God, help me to get from wretched to whole. Help me, oh, get to that state, oh God, where I'm just thinking upon myself as a leader instead of others. Help me, oh God, to recognize uh, uh, the sinfulness of my heart the sinfulness of my head, the sinfulness of my habits, O oh God, so that I can be a better, effective leader for change. Because the next steps are now. The next steps are now, God. And as we conclude these lectures, Lord, my prayer for each and every leader here is that we lead in such a way that honors you. We lead in such a way, God, that exemplifies the person of Jesus Christ in our attitudes, in our behavior, in our character. God, let us be the leaders that we need to be in our homes. If we're not leading our spouses, if we're not leading our children well, forgive us. God, 
Help us to be the leaders in our workplaces, Lord. If we're, if we're fitting in like a chameleon, forgive us. Help us to lead for change so that people could stand out. God, forgive us if, we, if we're not uh, leading for change in our, in our ministries, God, and we've been doing it for years and years and it's become the, the norm, but we don't see that this generation is in need and there needs to be a change to happen, oh God. The message doesn't change, but the methods, oh God, that you give us are for today. So God, I thank you for these group of leaders. And I pray, Lord, that we can lead humbly. We can lead with vulnerability. We can lead in holiness. But we can lead like Jesus in all that is said and done in word indeed by faith and not in fear but in spirit and in truth thank you for this god teach us to lead like jesus we pray amen